Are you doing this work to facilitate growth or to become famous? Which is more important, getting or letting go? Kelly Butler is a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, but he also played in the NFL. Butler now works with indigenous children in Winnipeg. Playing for a purpose, works with young people, providing mentorship and creating opportunities. Kelly, as a black man and a former professional athlete, how are you feeling watching all of this unfold? Right now we have some challenging times and I want to check in with you guys. So usually we're going to have our show every Tuesday and then we're, on Sunday we're going to have a check-in just to check in and see how the week goes, how things are going, and just some motivation and kind of talk about some general topics and just say, where's your mental health at? Where's your mind at? And kind of what are you doing to work through these weeks? So I had reached out to my engineer, Mac. I was like, man, it's a code red. Did you see what happened? How many businesses were closed down? And, and, and how does that impact our community? And it's been very mentally stressful through COVID. And as you're starting to build your momentum back through these challenging times, and it's ever-changing. One week it's this, one week it's that. And then all of a sudden, you're just waiting in anticipation for not good news or bad news, but just the hope that everything stays the same. And on Friday, things changed. It was a cold right? And I was like, selfishly, I was scared because my gyms were potentially closing down. And, and for my mental health, I think it's very, very important for, you know, for structure and routine. And then on the other side, when you look at these businesses that are working so hard to stay open, the, the capacity went lower. So now when you get that information, it's like, now you have a choice. You have a choice to say, how am I going to respond? And at the end of the day, if you're not able to connect to the community when something really bad happens or re being able to reach out and say, hey, we're all in this together, let's work together, it, it defeats the purpose of saying, you know, from, from starting from the bottom, now I'm here. If when things go really, really bad, you don't reach out and check in. And that's why I think it's very important calling it the check in because through life, people did not check in with me when I was going through some very tough times. So COVID, I've checked in with a lot of people. So the message that I'm giving you right now and the advice as you're listening to this podcast is check in with people. Make sure and see how they're doing and just see what's going on through COVID. A little weekly check-in is better than not talking to somebody and not seeing what's going on. So this is why we're doing this. Now, as the first episode was was aired and, and I've gotten so much feedback and thank you so much and please continue to share and give me feedback because initially when you when you listen to the introduction of the podcast it's about the growth this has never been about the fame please go to the email and just leave messages or, or reach out to me personally just to be able to connect the push with kb at gmail.com so Throughout the last few days, I've just been sending out um, the link. Hey, here, here we are. Here we are. And just getting very good feedback. And, and from the feedback, what was articulated to me is like, what is this podcast for? Who is your audience? And, and, and I don't know right now. I, I, I'm still trying to figure that out. And, and the idea of this is to connect to talk and make this an open platform for me to share my ideas, share my thoughts, share my lived experiences and to have a lot of local guests on. Because I'm living and dying with you guys. Because you guys have been supporting me when I was at my worst. And, and right now, I, I think we're in a position that some people are struggling more than others. And I've gone through some of these lived experiences and trying to connect with you guys. And the podcast is ours. It's because we're all pushing through something together. We have people that we know in this community that are teachers, doctors, lawyers, mothers, fathers, daughters, sons that are pushing through adversity. They have pre-existing mental health conditions. And they just got this news. So we all have a lot of things going on. 
And I want to be able to talk through this. And as I was kind of sharing the podcast, I was like, hey, man, where's this going to go? To be able to be here to have this podcast downstairs in my basement, it was extremely challenging to get to this point. And throughout this process, I wanted to stop and quit. I wanted to give up. I wanted to. I was afraid of having to be vulnerable to be my authentic self. I was afraid of failure. I was afraid of just actually being vulnerable and having to tell my truths and having to really look at, you know, where was the beginning of the pain, which was losing my mother. That was like the beginning of the pain. And for 28 years, not knowing how she was murdered, not knowing why she was murdered and not knowing who murdered her. That, that whole time frame is something I've carried for, for, for 28 years. So when you go into something and you hold something for so long, that hope and that belief that something happens to you for a reason and you believe it and you, and you fight for it. And I got it tattooed on me. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. Some of the toughest moments that we're dealing with right now. We will get through this together. Because we have to be vulnerable and come together through this and listen to people that have had lived experiences and walking through these flames together. And once again, this is tough, but the choice is yours. And I think sometimes do you ever not feel good enough to do something? Do you ever find sometimes that when you're going through something, the right thing to do is always the hardest thing? The thing that's really bringing you the most peace is putting you through the most pain. You're, you're pushing through something, but it hurts. And in your life right now, we're pushing for a certain quality of life we are accustomed to having. And then through that, we're getting pushed back. What are you going through? What's happening during COVID in your life? How are you handling the cold red? How are you pushing forward? How are you staying positive? And there's a lot of painful things. And, and I experienced that. With that being said, I was able to reach out to some of my friends from, from Michigan. So for, for the listeners that know, I, I'm from Lansing, Michigan, originally. And then from Lansing, Michigan, I went to Grand Rapids. And from Grand Rapids, I, I went to college. From college, went to the, the, the NFL and then the CFL. But a lot of people see when you look at says Kelly Butler's from Grand Rapids. I'm actually from Lansing, Michigan. I, I lived there until I was 14 years old. So I sent the podcast to a guy I played football with and basketball with at Lansing Sussing. I'm telling you how I was able to come across who killed my mother and what happened, the whole story, the uncut story. And this is something that when you chase something and you follow it, you never know where it's going to take you. But you have to believe in the reasons why you're doing something. So the reason I keep reminding you is saying, what is your why? And I think sometimes spiritually, religiously, or for whatever your reasons are, what you're connected to, that can help you throughout the process. That can give you a little bit more energy. That can give you a little more peace. So as I was trying to find something, it was, it was very hard because I wasn't connected to a higher power. I was, I was lost. So as I'm trying to find peace, I'm at my most pain. But my why is just like, man, why would I lose my mother and my father if I hadn't done anything wrong? And so I reached out to his name is, is Bo James, and he uh, played football um, at Sexton with me. Um, he was a senior when I was a freshman. We played uh, varsity basketball together. And we're just catching up. I, I send in the podcast, and he's like, hey, KB, how's life? I'm like, I'm in Canada. We start talking. He's like, the podcast was amazing. 
I'm like, really, man? I'm like, man, thanks. He was like, just to, to from what you experienced to what you were to how you played in the NFL and to coming from sex and you represent as well. We were tough on you, but we wanted you to do well. Man, I was talking about my lived experiences and, you know, it's been a challenge. You know, my mother being killed, my father, and he was like, I got to tell you something. I'm like, say what? He said, I got to tell you something. He said, the guy that killed your mother, I met him. I know the dude. Can, can, can you imagine that moment when you hear they know the person that you've created, I've created for so long in, in so many situations, is this person who I didn't know who he was. I created an image every time I played football that this person was the person that killed my mother. The, every time somebody told me no, this was the person that did it. Because the information I knew, he was a 17-year-old kid that shot and killed my mother. That's all the information I knew. But I'm 10 years old. My mother gets shot and killed, head blown off a sawed-off shotgun, and I'll walk you through that story. But now back to Bo says, I know this guy. I know the guy who killed your mother. So he, he says, what happened was he came to the school and he was like, man, I just blew off this woman's head. And he said, and, and they kind of looked at him because he looked soulless. And he was like, yeah, this woman came over and was complaining about my dogs barking and I blew her head off. My mother got her head blown off for some, complaining about his barking dogs. And then he was like, Kelly, that was kind of like when you became a freshman um, at Sexton. We knew this, but we didn't want to tell you because I was six, seven. My mother had her head blown off. My father played at Michigan State and was, you know, a, a very well-known player there and worked in the, the foster care system there. And then he died also. And I'm six, seven at Lansing Sexton with both parents passed away. My mother was on the cover of the paper and nobody, people kind of looked at me like gloves. Like if you were to catch COVID right now and somebody saw that, they would treat you differently. So I kind of know what it feels like to catch COVID when I was treated so differently for something that was outside of my control. And, and people weren't giving me answers. And I had to carry that for 20 some years. And he was like, you want to hear something worse, Kay? I said, what, what's going on, man? His name is Donald Subtle Jr. I was like, okay. He got out of jail 16 years later. So my mother got her head blown off with a shotgun because she was complaining about some dogs. And what people don't realize about my mother is, I tell that part of the story when people me, I lost my mother, she had her head blown off with a sawed off shotgun. And sometimes when I'm having suicidal thoughts, I say, I'm gonna blow my head off. Uh, and because it just triggers the same emotions that somebody didn't value my mother's life and that's kind of that mental, you know, connection of pain is like, that's how I see my mother with her head blown off because somebody decided to take that from her. So sometimes, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't have a lot of memories of my mother. I have four memories of my mother. And the problem is the feel good memories of my mother that I, I would love to have had. I don't because, you know, in the first episode, I talk about my mother had a nervous breakdown when I was five years old. And I'm not telling you this to feel sorry for me. I'm telling you to understand that we all endure a lot of pain. 
and we have a choice to, to wait there and die or fight and survive, but that choice is there. It might not be an easy choice. It might not be the choice you want to have to make, but that's a choice that you, you, you it's in front of you. COVID has happened right now. Your capacity has gone down. Your businesses are not doing what they're supposed to. The loans that you took from the bank, now they're asking for them back. The CERB checks that you took are not happening. Are, are they're asking for them back. You, people are getting sick. And you're faced with choices that are difficult and saying, what do I do? You acknowledge that you have to do something or you wait to see what other people are going to do for you. So when I was five years old, my mother was sitting there, I had to wait for two weeks. So to all the mothers that are listening out here, imagine your child being five years old and having to wait two weeks as you lay there motionlessly. To all the mothers, imagine your child at five years old trying to wake you up and you can't do anything. And then finally, two weeks later, somebody comes and that's the, the first memory of my mother. Second memory of my mother is when I came back into uh, to live with her after she had, you know, kind of recovered from, you know, the mental breakdown and being diagnosed with MS. I moved in when I was in third grade and she really couldn't take care of me because it was overwhelming at that time to see a strong woman, a shell of herself, not being able to take care of me. So I'm now I'm like in third grade. And, and then one day I wake up and she's like, I can't do this anymore. She drops me off to my father. And at the time, my father was a very disciplinary man. He, he was very abusive. And I'm not trying to say negative things about men or my father being a black man. He was just very, very abusive and had severe mental health issues at the time. And he expressed them through a lot of abuse to me and verbally and in general. So imagine the person that you're trying to keep your son from to protect and grow. Now you have to reintroduce him into the person that is part of this problem. So that's the second memory of my mother. The third memory of my mother is my dad would make, we would go see my mother, but she was struggling. And I would see her like, you know, supervised visits every once in a while. So my father was good about that. So I was like eight or nine years old. And she, she was struggling, man. She was trying to be like a crossing guard. And I was embarrassed. You know, as kids, you're embarrassed of your parents until you don't have them. Yeah, listen to me. You're embarrassed of your parents until you don't have them. I didn't have mine that long. And, you know, she was trying to connect with me. So she was trying to be the crossing guard at the school I was going to. And, you know, I just kind of just, just didn't acknowledge her. I didn't acknowledge my mother. I was ashamed of her. I, I was kind of ashamed of what I had done. And then the last memory of my mother was the day that I found out she was dead. It was, I was Saturday morning, watching like Saturday morning cartoons, hanging out and you hear a, at the door, white man comes into me and he just looks at you with like, like, man, I'm sorry what I'm about to have to tell you. He just is like, it's gonna be okay, kid. And I'm just like, I'm just gonna go back and watch X-Men and chill out so I don't know who this white man is looking at me feeling sorry for me, but I'm cool. And he's like, is your father here? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, there's somebody at the door, dad. And he's like, who is it? I'm like, who are you? He's like, detective such and such. And I'm like, all right, there's a cop here. And he's like, what does he want? And I'm like, I don't know. And he, so he comes to the door. My father's like a big 6'5 black man. So like if you've seen uh, Boys in the Hood, Lawrence Finchburn, he, some, he's very similar in features and demeanor like that. And just a very proud, strong black man. Just, you know, he played tight end for Michigan State. 
And so they go downstairs because my father had a magnum gun. He had he had a gun um, just in the house, and it's all most people do. It's the gun culture in the states. And he comes back upstairs, and the cop kind of looks back at me, and like my dad was in another room, and like the, the cop brings a paper, and then the guy leaves, and my dad calls me into this into our, like our little we were living in a duplex, and in the back was like our little small kitchen. So you had this little shitty ass table. And you're looking out the back window. It was the shitty ass duplex. Why do I remember this? Because this is the news I, the day I found out my mother's dead. And my dad puts the paper in front of me. And I'm not really a strong reader, but at like nine or 10 years old, I'm 10 years old. So imagine how strong you read at 10 years old. And you're reading like, uh, my mother had a black caprice. And they say black caprice is found somewhere and body is found here. So it says a woman. So what happened was a dog, guy was jogging and they found her body. They couldn't identify my mother's face. They had to use dental records. They had to use dental records to identify my mother's face. So she had a closed casket. <laughs> so at one point, I didn't even believe she was in there. And he's like, that's your mom. And he just breaks down and cries. So my father is just like break, broken down and crying. And then, uh, you know, that was uh, that was that was that. And here's the wildest thing that you're going to ever hear about this podcast. Not that I found out who, who killed my mother at the funeral. And I'm not sure how this happens. You know, I don't know if this is a procedure that funeral homes should do for, for 10 year olds. The guys put my mother's casket in. I'm like, I don't believe she in there. And he was like, you want to see? Now wait and think about, did I look? But just think about what would I have seen at 10 years old. So a part of me always thought that it was some sort of magic chick, that she wasn't really in there. She was in there, but her energy wasn't. And I think that's, you know, when spirituality and religion come into to play is when you lose something that, you know, wasn't long enough to have a connection to really know who that person was. So how do you have conversations with people that are dead? Because I didn't stop talking to my mother when she passed away. In the physical form, she passed away, but I had conversations with her because I begged for questions and favors and advice and direction. And somehow I'm here. And my father also passed away not shortly after, as did a lot of relatives. But I wasn't really spiritual at the time. I wasn't really religious at the time. I was really drunk and in pain and playing football, not dealing with the actual issues at the time. But I was always somewhat just aware I was curious I was like why would all these things happen to me you know why were all these things but then all these other favors from you know a higher power were happening to me so as I was going through my most pain spiritually I was somewhat aware of it but I wasn't really in tune with it because I was afraid of what it was or wasn't really you know aware of that and, and why I say that to you is as you're going through some things what are you putting yourself into that's positive that's grounding you if you're feeling like you're losing control through COVID or you feel like you're losing control through life, what are you doing to get yourself back in control? What are you doing when you found out the information during code red? What are you doing to recenter yourself and be able to say, well, if I can't necessarily work at this gym, can I go at this gym? Can I work at home? Are you being creative or are you sitting there like, man, again, are you being controlled by your thoughts or are you letting your thoughts control you or are you thinking about creative ways to be still in control of yourself as so many, so many chaotic situations are happening? 
so as I'm going through my, my mental euphoria of talking about, you know, finding out who, who the person that my mother was shot and killed by and the pain and the struggle of thinking about the conversations that I never got to have with her because she died, but still talked to her, but didn't really know how I was talking to her, but I knew through the energy or through something things were happening. So I've been pushing my pain of my loss for my mother for so long, but knowing that her energy has been pulling me through such situations that I never thought I would ever be able to get out of, as is my father and all of my, my spiritual relatives. There's four levels to this. There's your, your, as far as talking about the indigenous culture, as far as when we talk about spirituality, there's yourself that you are now. Then there's your spirit animal, which is a bear for me. And then the next level is the earth, the plants. And then the next, the highest level is the spirits. So if I have gone through the process of going through sweats, I think I've gone through five sweats and the first one was, I wasn't ready. And then the next four, I did it with my family, um, for the group of guys that I've worked with and became much more in tune with the culture. And through that, I was able to have, be at peace mentally because I knew spiritually I was talking to the energy in the room and that was my mother and my father. Not I'm asking you to believe that to the level that I do, but I am asking yourself when you are at your lowest moment, who are you talking to? So when I found out who the killer was, to my mother, I don't need to say his name anymore. I'm not giving that kind of energy, that kind of power to something that doesn't belong that way. And I'm not mad. People, were, Some people are like, yo, what are you going to do? I'm at peace. What would somebody at peace do if they've been through that much pain and still are here right now saying, I'm talking on my podcast about growth and peace. I'm talking about being able to have something hit you so hard. So being at peace, now people are saying, well, what are you going to do? I, I, I'm not coming this far to overcome so much to go back to where somebody's been in jail for killing not once, but twice. He got out of jail and then killed somebody else and is back in jail for the 33 to 50 years. So he's there in that environment. And I'm not going to segue and go into what that environment is and talk about this or that. I'm just saying, think about this for one moment. All of those little things that get you so worked up during COVID right now, all of those things that are changing your emotions, my mother lost her head off some over some barking ass dogs. Because I have to go out there and say, is this podcast always going to be this deep? No. Am I always going to find out who my mother's killer is? No. But when I do find that out, I have a choice and I'm at peace because now I understand that the little things don't give it the energy it doesn't deserve because it can go out there and take much bigger things away, like my mother. And I think about the initial impact of, the, the, of finding out what code red is. Yes, you have the ability to be emotional in that moment, but you still got to think about the bigger picture of and who's looking at you. So as I have gone through this with the support of the community, I say, be kind of like, thank you. Thank you for the people that have listened to the podcast. Because if you didn't listen and I didn't do it, I would have never found out who my mother's killer was. And also on a spiritual level, because I, I, I'm very timeline oriented and, you know, I'm very much systematic in how I look at structure and institutions and, and timelines. And the reason I say that is like, so if at, at 16, when he killed my mother, I was 10. 
So then when he got out, because he got out of jail, he got out of jail December 16th, 09. I was 27. I was a very different man then. I'm a monster at that time. I'm a most broken. I'm like 345 pounds. I'm in Oklahoma playing football for food coupons now. I'm not a very happy person. I am not a very happy person because just a few years ago, I'm playing for the Detroit Lions. Now, this gentleman is back in my hometown, Lansing, where I'm actually from. But I'm at such a low point. I'm in Oklahoma dealing with somebody that's uh, a former uh, superstar at the Oklahoma Sooners. He's an indigenous guy that looks white. He was the first guy to start for, his name is J.R. Conrad. Started for the Oklahoma Sooners, went to the Dallas Cowboys, but just somebody that grew up on the reserve. His mother, I think, was, or his grandmother was white or indigenous, but he just looked, so he went through that. So I started becoming familiar with the indigenous community or the Native American community before I came up here. So um, the drumming and some of that, it, it was the beginning of healing me before I came up here. And then from there, it's like coming up to Canada is going to change your life. So the spirits kind of knew what was going on. I just, I didn't have any idea. So when I was like, I'm having conversations with somebody. So that moment I was like, before I came, it was like, this is going to change your life. And I was like, I am going to go play football in Canada. Like I'm talking to like myself, but it's actually saying like, this is really going to open up something you've never seen before. And I, I, I've learned to, when I feel that energy or hear that energy or that message, just know it's going to be true how it is. I might get a call or I might get a wind or this is as long as I'm making sure that the things I'm doing, the energy or the spirits are like, hey, I'm going to help navigate you to I still have the free spirit to do things. I don't always do what I'm supposed to. But that energy and those spirits kind of pull me back out of negative situations and I try and reflect and learn. So the reason that I went on that tangent is because at that same particular time, I'm 27 and he is at that time working in, in, in Lansing as a, as a as a bouncer. Could you imagine Kelly Butler at 27, people have, have known me, have known that I'm somewhat all over the place, very passionate, very wild, have had my fair time of drinking and just doing things and having a good time and, and I've gotten into some fights. I got into a lawsuit. I choked somebody in college. I've gotten into some fights. I've made some mistakes. Uh, I played the position offensive line at a very high level. The guy that killed my mother is six feet tall and 145 pounds. He's not the monster that I made him out to be. So imagine if I go back home for Christmas or go back to see my relatives and go to this bar and then somehow he's like Kelly Butler. He's like, who are you? Oh, I killed some person's mom named Betty Butler. Are you that? Could you imagine if I met the person that killed my mother in the real world? Am I a bad person if I kill him? Ask yourself that question. If you come face to face with the killer of your mother, what you going to do? What you gonna do when you at your worst and the person that puts you at your worst is you face to face with that? What you gonna do? I think the energy knows what I'm gonna do or what I would have done or what I was doing at that time to survive. I think the spirits knew and say, man, we gotta keep this person as far as possible from this energy because if this energy meets this energy, I don't become this man. I don't have this lifestyle. Because my ego and my heart was broken and my pain was at an all-time high and I was ready to go out there and let things happen to people that did have done bad things to me. So now I come to Canada 10 years ago. Uh, you know, 2010, I'm in Canada. So now I'm in a different country not knowing this person is free or alive, building this information. And I'm going through my trials and tribulations to become the man I am now. 
And now that I find this information out, I say, what do I have, have I learned from this? If my mother's legacy, her honor is already gone, what does it do for me to go out there and take another man's life that's in a box somewhere? I can't give that to that person. And the moral of this is saying, at the end of the day, you have a choice to focus on the negative and make negative more negative or have pain with pain, you don't get positive. Sometimes you go through pain to be at peace, but in these moments right now, you have to be at peace when we're going through so much pain. These trials and tribulations, you have to talk to people, you have to work through it, and you have to ask for help. For somebody, if you're not willing to talk to somebody spiritually, talk to somebody through a podcast, talk to somebody in person as far as socially distanced, you know, with the mask on and try and still make a connection. It's not that the connection isn't there. It's just a little bit more challenging to do. And I think that's the problem when we look at technology. Just because something's a little bit harder to do doesn't mean it can't be done. It was harder for me to become this man because I lost both my parents. It was harder for me to become a football player because I'm not a strong reader. It's harder for me to, to, to go to college, but I went to college. It's harder for me to go to the NFL, but I went to the NFL. It's harder for me to lose everything to come back. There's always a reason why I can't do these things, but it's still able to be done. And when I say that to you, it's like, there's always going to be a reason why not to do something. There's always going to be somebody that tells you you can't be doing something, but you got to keep pushing through it. And a lot of people said, if you ask yourself this question, close your eyes and look at a small child that's 12 years old that's lost both of his parents and then in a brief period of time some really traumatic things have happened to him between 12 and 15 that were worse than losing both of his parents and ask yourself where does he end up at I know where he ends up at because when I was in Oklahoma as I as one person that killed my mother is out of jail Kelly Butler is in jail but not in jail in the mindset is like, Kelly, you're in jail, what? I've gone to jail one time and I've gone to a mental hospital one time to know that this doesn't fit Kelly Butler. This culture, this identity, I, and I've never been back since, but I have been in jail working. I was a juvenile detention center uh, correction officer. So uh, in there, I had to identify what I was looking at saying, are these kids monsters? Because the way that we look at these kids are monsters. The way that they portray somebody that has killed somebody is a monster. There are monsters in there. They're in their infant stages. Yes, people, there are monsters and they are real and they are in jail. And they need to stay there. And some of those kids were had the makings of a lot of potential with lack of leadership and love. And some of those kids were so broken and disconnected that they were just being ready to get ready to do something really bad. And they knew how to do it. And that was the juvenile detention center that I was working at in the morning. So from seven o'clock in the morning to three o'clock, I worked there. And from there, I would jump in my car, the good old fashioned Hummer that some people have seen me in. It was moving smooth back in the day. Hummer looked good. And I was driving over working at a treatment facility for sexually abused kids. So now I'm working in the juvenile detention center in Oklahoma City from seven o'clock to three o'clock seeing our youth, the worst of the world, because I had to understand how could somebody in this age demographics do this something to my mother? So what I found out is that there's a lot of kids that are in bad situations, CFS, the juvenile detention center, because they don't have fathers, they don't have mothers, they don't have, this, the, the, the system has broken them down and using them. 
And there's some people that are in that environment that might be black that are not very good people that should never get out and white and green and purple. There's just people in this environment, but it seems to be that because of that, it's more black men than most in the States. Then from three to 11, I'm working at the treatment facility for sexually abused kids. Now I'm seeing some kids in there that have been traumatized. And I'm like, man, how can somebody do this? And the one thing that I saw was some of the kids that I was working with had criminal offenses for sexual abuse. And when, if you know the code of the streets, when you're in jail, you look at certain people's like, if you go to jail for raping somebody, touching kids or beating on women, you're not well received in jail. So how well received do you think somebody was that was 16 years old that blew off a woman's head? But, you know, the problem is rules and regulations, because I'm a foster parent, I've worked in the juvenile detention center, you can't disclose people's records to the public as far as who this kid is. You can't put this kid on the paper. But as you have caught this person, you're saying because of a minor, there's rules and regulations that I never knew what this guy looked like. So like, how does Kelly not know who this guy looks like? They don't disclose this until he's, you know, 30 something years old and kills again. And if you look in the articles and look up that person's name, you'll see it says, oh, and he served 16 years for second degree murder. So sometimes when you look at these situations and you look at these kids and you look at where they're at and you're saying, well, man, I had to understand that when I was working at the juvenile detention center, a lot of these kids, bad situations. When I was working at the treatment facility, a lot of these kids were abused because they were in broken homes. And then some of these times when I was working at the jail, I would see people that were on both sides, somebody that sexually abused somebody. And I was like, that also shows that there's a lot of people that pretend to be really tough and are bullies. And that's why I've always had a problem with bullies. Because you can bully Kelly when I'm 10 years old, man. You can bully me when I'm five years old. 14, I'm six, seven. So I, I never was a big fan of bullies because I see what bullies are when I catch you either behind closed doors, in jails, those guys are not that tough. You know, they need some love. Those are the most meek, mild people. So I've seen both sides of the border saying, and I've worked here with, in the jails with the Dream Chaser program because the criminal justice system here compared to the criminal justice system there is more, they're trying to reform in Canada because it's so broken with CFS. So a lot of the people that are coming into the jails from CFS, it's not their fault that are coming to there, so they're much more aware of that. The reason I wanted to be able to talk about that is because I wanna be able to inform you on finding that information out, carrying that pain, doing the research, being able to find out, is it all people, is it this, is that, but finding out, just to be at peace, I had to go through a lot of painful situations, but I found connection at people and became a foster parent. Being able to connect with a lot of kids that have had similar traumatic situations being able to talk through the pain and being resilient and being aware that it's not easy, but you're not alone. But you have to acknowledge you're killing the face. And you have to be at peace with your killing the face and say, you know what? That killer of whatever your dream was, maybe it is COVID that killed your dream. Maybe it is COVID that took away everything that you were working for, but it didn't kill you. That bullet didn't kill me, it killed my mother. COVID has killed people and it's, it's awful. You got to fight for what you believe and you're not fighting alone because if you're reaching out and listening, we fighting with you and fighting for you and we fighting together. So this podcast is a, a podcast about hope. 
You have a choice to listen to this. You have a choice not to listen to this. You have a choice to say, I've made it this far through this and understand what am I going to do from this? I'm getting up tomorrow positive, going to work, trying to be a dad and being at peace that for 28 years, I didn't put the face to somebody that took something that didn't belong from him. He took my mother and changed my life. And I'm not saying that it was all bad. People say, well, what happens if she's here? Then I don't know who I am if she's not here. But she did a phenomenal job leaving some things for me. I ended up moving in with my aunt and uncle that were good friends of hers. I was able to utilize, uh, you know, the life insurance to be able to have a good experience in college. The, the love that I didn't necessarily remember was still in me to still be able to be this kind through this whole process. It's easy to be the other part of this. There's probably a lot of people that have endured this much pain and may not be doing these positive things either. So I'm trying to make it very relatable that you can have a choice to be able to make all the reasons in the world to be negative and do very horrible things that because horrible things have happened to you. Or you can kind of break that chain and be able to make it relatable to people and say, from these experiences that I've had, aka losing my mother at 10 years old, losing my father, then finding out yesterday who it was and saying, man, that is the best news I've heard in a long time. Because it closed the loop and saying spiritually, I asked for it, I begged for it, and somehow it came after doing the first podcast, which was another challenging time. Tough times do not last, but tough people do, if you believe. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this, and continue to fight for you. Throughout this podcast, if this has touched on any emotions or any nerves or some things that you want to talk about, please reach out to me at thepushwithkb at gmail.com. Hit me up at, on my Instagram page. I just want you to be able to be a part of this. This is for us. We're all healing. And I want to be able to look at my daughter and say, your grandma's here. Your energy's here. Your family's around here. Just because you lose the body, the figure of her, you don't lose her energy. You believe in the spirit. Because don't we believe in Christmas? Don't we believe in Halloween? Don't we believe in the quality of life for ourselves and our kids? And we are fighting for it. My daughter's going to have a great Christmas. And believe me, if I got to be Santa Claus myself, she going to believe Santa Claus is real. Once again, it's KB with the push, man. Keep pushing through the pain. It's worth it for the peace. It's worth it for the peace. And if you have a purpose strong enough, you'll be able to figure out and face your killer too and smile in his face. This is KB, and I'm out. Push through the pain. Find the peace.